0: Good day, and welcome to The Climate Report, broadcasting and podcasting exclusively here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For our lead story, astonishing new legal developments have been coming out of various court cases where young adults around the world have been suing federal governments claiming they have a duty of care for their young children in taking care of the future and addressing climate change. The Federal Court of Australia this week has found that the Environment Minister for Australia, Susan Lay, indeed has a duty of care to protect young people from the climate crisis, in a judgment hailed by lawyers and teenagers who brought the case as a world-first Eight teenagers and an 86-year-old nun and a former teacher had sought an injunction to prevent the Australian environmental minister from approving a proposal by a company called Whitehaven Coal to expand an existing coal mine in Australia. They were arguing that the government has a common law duty of care through their environmental minister to protect younger people against future harm, From climate change. Well, the case hasn't been finalized, but in a ruling along the way, Justice Mordecai Bromberg found indeed that the environmental minister had a duty of care to not act in a way that would cause future harm to younger people. But he did not grant the injunction to stop the expansion of the coal mine, as he was not satisfied that the environmental minister would indeed breach her duty of care. Well, a lawyer representing the children said it was a historic and amazing decision with potentially significant consequences, saying outside of the court, quote, the court has found that the minister owes a duty of care to younger children, to vulnerable people, and that duty says that the minister must not act in a way that causes harm, future harm, from climate change to younger people it is the first time in the world that such a duty of care has been recognized in a court of law, especially in a common law country, end quote. He said that Justice Bromberg had indicated that he would now take submissions before making any further declarations about what the environmental minister's duty of care may mean for this specific coal mine. Well, Whitehaven Coal had a different interpretation of the judgment. In a statement to the stock exchange, it did not mention the duty of care finding, but instead said it welcomed the court dismissing the teenager's attempt to block Lay from approving the coal mine extension via injunction. The coal company said, our consistent position has been that this legal claim was without merit. Whitehaven looks forward to receiving the approval for the coal mine extension project and will keep the market updated as appropriate. So it's one of these odd legal rulings where each side is claiming victory, with the teenagers claiming victory with full recognition in a court of law that the government has a duty of care to them. However, the court didn't give an injunction that stopped the expansion of the coal mine. Which the coal mine is celebrating, but the case is not done. Speaking for the children, 17 year old Ava Princi said that it was thrilling and deeply relieving that the justice had indeed recognized that the government had a duty of care. She said, though an injunction was not granted, the case was not over yet, and there will be further submissions on what this now duty of care means for the minister's decision. And the coal mine. Well, a spokesman for the Environmental Minister, Lay, said that the Australian government was considering the judgment and would, quote, have more to say in due course, end quote. But they also noted that the court rejected the injunction against the Environment Minister that would have prevented her from making a final decision on the coal mine. Well, during the evidence phase, the court heard that the expansion of this particular mine in Australia could lead to an extra 100 million tons of CO2. That's about 20% of Australia's annual climate footprint, which would all be released into the atmosphere as the extracted coal is shipped overseas and burned to make steel and generate electricity. Well, in his judgment, Bromberg said the evidence presented to the court showed the potential harm the children could face due to global warming, that it may fairly be described as quote, catastrophic, particularly should global average surface temperatures rise to and exceed three degrees Celsius beyond the pre-industrial level. The justice continued, perhaps the most startling of the potential harms demonstrated by the evidence before the court is that 1 million of today's Australian children are expected to suffer at least one heat stress episode serious enough to require acute care in a hospital. He said many thousands will suffer premature death from heat stress or bushfire smoke. Substantial economic loss and property damage will be experienced the Great Barrier Reef and most of Australia's eastern eucalyptus forests will no longer exist due to repeated severe bushfires. That is a justice of the federal court talking. So Bromberg found that the minister had a common law duty to take reasonable care not to cause the children personal injury when using her powers under federal environmental laws. But he did not grant an injunction to prevent the coal mine from being expanded because he had not yet been satisfied that the duty of care by the minister would be breached. Well, the case is now one of a number of climate-related litigation cases expected before Australian courts in the months ahead, as lawyers and activists aim to use the law and the ruling to force change they say is not coming quickly enough from Australian governments. Australia is lagging behind most other developed countries in both their rhetoric and their action. Well, there have been a growing number of international cases that aim to hold both governments and corporations to account for not doing more to address global heating. So not just a government duty of care, but in some cases now, international courts are finding that corporations also have a duty of care in addition to rewarding shareholders. In the latest development on Wednesday a court in The Hague ordered Royal Dutch Shell to cut its global carbon emissions by 45% by the end of this decade, after finding that the oil giant's sustainability policy was insufficiently concrete. The Anglo-Dutch company was told by a court it also had a, quote, duty of care, and that the level of emissions reductions of Shell and its suppliers and buyers should be brought in line with the Paris Climate Agreement. The case had been brought by a group called Friends of the Earth, as well as over 17,000 co-plaintiffs. And the International Energy Agency last week suggested there should be no new coal, oil, or gas investments. If the world was to keep open the possibility of meeting the goals of the Paris Agreement and reaching net-zero global greenhouse gas emissions, by 2050 Well, it is an unprecedented ruling for uh, Shell that will have wide implications beyond just them and Dutch courts, for the entire energy industry and other polluting industries. The judge said that Shell must at once reduce its CO2 output, adding that the ruling would have far-reaching consequences for the company, and the judge said it would quote, "curb the potential growth of the Shell group." She said in her ruling, quote, the interest served with the reduction obligation, that means the public global interest of the obligation to reduce their emissions, outweighs the shell group's commercial interests. Roger Cox, lawyer for Friends of the Earth Netherlands, now called on organizations around the world to pick up the gauntlet and take legal action to force multinationals to play their full part in tackling the climate emergency. The lawyer said this is a turning point in history. This case is unique because it is the first time a judge has ordered a large polluting corporation to comply with the Paris Climate Agreement. This ruling may also have major consequences for other big polluters. Well, Shell, which said it would appeal the judgment in Dutch courts, was the ninth biggest polluter in the world, according to Carbon Major's database, when looking at the years 1988 to 2015. During that time period, 88 to 2015, Shell was the ninth biggest polluter on the planet. And an appeal against this ruling, ordering them to comply with the Paris Agreement, could actually last two years. But again, the attorney that brought the case for Friends of the Earth said he hoped the company's executives and shareholders would act in the meantime. Shell had said in February it would accelerate the transition of its business to net zero emissions, including targets to reduce their emissions 20% by the end of the decade, as opposed to the courts ordering them. But lawyers for the plaintiff successfully argued that the company had been aware for decades of the dangerous consequences of CO2 emissions and that its current targets remain insufficiently robust. It was claimed that Shell was not only breaking Dutch civil code, but that Shell has also been violating articles of the European Convention on Human Rights, the right to life and the right to family life, by causing a danger to others knowingly when alternative measures could be taken. And the court ruled that there were indeed obligations under both Dutch law and the European Convention, and that the company had known for a long time about the damage of carbon emissions. They found that Shell was allowing themselves to move more slowly by following the pace of global society as opposed to taking their policy intentions and ambitions seriously. Well, Shell argued there was no legal basis for the case and that governments alone are responsible for meeting Paris targets, not corporations. But the court found that, quote, since 2012, there has been broad international consensus about the need for non-state action because states cannot tackle the climate issue on their own. Well, Shell activities and products as a whole are currently responsible for about 1% of the world's global emissions every year. But the company is investing billions more in oil and gas, the court heard. A Shell spokesperson said, urgent action is needed on climate change, which is why we have accelerated our efforts to become a net zero energy company by 2050, in step with society. We will continue to focus on these efforts and fully expect to appeal today's disappointing court decision. Huge thing worth noting is spokespeople for Shell are now saying urgent action is needed on climate change. Well, all of the oil majors are being put back on their heels, whether it's legal court rulings ordering them to reduce their emissions, or an interesting thing has been happening around the world as there have been shareholder rebellions from within oil companies shaking up the boardrooms and forcing them to change policy. Here's the latest news on ExxonMobil and Chevron, who both have suffered shareholder rebellions specifically over the climate. If they're not going to change from without, change is coming from within. This is out of The Guardian. It says U.S. oil giants ExxonMobil and Chevron have suffered shareholder rebellions from climate activists and disgruntled institutional investors over their failure to set a strategy for a low-carbon future. Exxon recently failed to defend its own board against an internal coup launched by a dissident hedge fund activist, a group called Engine Number 1, which successfully just replaced two Exxon board members with their own candidates to help drive the oil company towards a greener strategy. Well, this tiny little rival, Engine Number One, was set up just last year as an impact investment firm by a veteran hedge fund tech investor named Chris James, specifically to do one thing an attempt to replace four Exxon board members with new directors who have experience in successful and profitable energy transformations. And who can help turn the challenge of the climate crisis into a long term business plan, not a talking point, according to their mission statement? Well, they are the uh, Exxon was forced to adjourn its annual shareholder meeting for an hour in a bid to stave off this rebellion from this new impact investment group called Engine Number One which may claim a further two board seats once all the preliminary results are finalized. Exxon said the vote was too close to call late on Wednesday, but at least two board members have been kicked out and replaced with more green-oriented people. But that's not all. It's not just the small fries that are coming in and making a ruckus. Exxon's second largest shareholder is a company called BlackRock. BlackRock is the world's biggest asset manager. And BlackRock owns a 7% stake in Exxon, and they're understood to have thrown their support behind this campaign by engine number one to oust four directors on the Exxon board in favor of its own candidates, who all do still have a background in fossil fuels, but have leadership experience in green energy innovation. And apparently the world's biggest asset manager, BlackRock, sided with this rival upstart, according to Reuters, due to frustration with ExxonMobil's refusal to take climate concerns seriously. Well, it wasn't just the small investors, it wasn't just the big investors, another investor, legal and general, is one of Exxon's top 20 investors they also were said to have backed this drive to replace four board members, and they pledged to vote against Exxon's boss, Darren Woods, who so far appears to have survived the boardroom battle. Meanwhile, a majority of Chevron shareholders over at the other major U.S. oil company, they have rebelled against the company's board, not by voting out the board, but by forcing them to change policies. 61% of Chevron's shareholders recently voted in favor of an activist proposal from a Dutch campaign group called Follow This to force Chevron to cut its carbon emissions. Mark Van Ball, who founded Follow This, said that Wednesday's shareholder revolts mark an investor paradigm shift and a victory in the fight against climate change. The shareholder rebellions in the US were matched by the unprecedented reversal for the oil industry upset in the Netherlands where the green campaigners won a court battle in The Hague to force Shell to cut its carbon emissions. Van Ball, the founder of Follow This, the activist group that got the proposal passed by a majority of Chevron shareholders, said that institutional investors understand that no investment is safe in a global economy wracked by devastating climate change. Well, the activist win against Chevron was the third successful insurrection by shareholders coordinated by this Dutch group called Follow This against the boards of U.S. oil companies. So far, they have forced through votes to cut emissions at ConocoPhillips, Chevron, Phillips 66, and they will not be stopping there. So it's fascinating to see that the oil companies are finally feeling the pinch, Um, whether it is from courtroom battles forcing them from the outside or boardroom battles and shareholder votes from the inside. Enough handwriting is on enough walls, and those walls are starting to crumble for the oil majors. Well, and some interesting news about alternatives to oil-based travel For those who are fancying a a trip from city to city, short trips but concerned about the carbon footprint of airplane travel, a company is promising a surprising new solution, commercial airships. Also thought of as dirigibles or blimps, airships for city to city short hops could cut flying CO2 emissions by 90%. And there is one company head and shoulders above all of the rest. They are called Hybrid Air Vehicles, H-A-V, Hybrid Air Vehicles. They have developed a new environmentally friendly airship. And on Wednesday, they named a string of routes that they hope to begin serving in just four years, starting in 2025, for their 100-passenger Airlander 10 airship. The company said the journey by airship would take roughly the same time as airplane travel once getting to and from the airport was taken into account, but would generate a much smaller carbon footprint. HAV said that the CO2 footprint per passenger on its airship would be less than 5 kilograms per passenger, compared with jet planes at 53 kilograms per passenger, more than 10 times as much. Well, currently... Routes planned include Liverpool to Belfast, Oslo to Stockholm, and Seattle to Vancouver. HAV said its aircraft was ideally suited to intercity mobility applications like Liverpool to Belfast and Seattle to Vancouver, which Airlander can service with a tiny fraction of the emissions of current air options. Tom Grundy, HAV's chief executive, who compares the airlander to a fast ferry, said this isn't a luxury product. It's a practical solution to challenges posed by the climate crisis. He said that 47% of regional airplane flights connect cities that are less than 230 miles apart and therefore emit a huge amount of carbon dioxide doing so. The CEO said, we've got aircraft designed to travel very long distances, going very short. Will we expect to have the luxury of traveling these short distances with such a big carbon footprint? Grundy said the hybrid electric airlander 10 could make the same connections with 10% of the carbon footprint beginning in 2025, and even smaller emissions in the future when the airships were expected to be all electric instead of hybrid. He said it's a quick and early win for the climate, especially when you use this to get over an obstacle like water or hills. HAV said it was in discussions with a number of airlines to operate the routes, and they expect to announce partnerships and airline customers in the next few months. The company has already signed a deal to deliver an airship to luxury Swedish travel firm Ocean Sky Cruises which has said it intends to use the craft to offer experiential travel over the North Pole with Arctic explorer Robert Swan. Well, Grundy said the company was in the final stages of settling on a location for its airship production line factory, which he hoped would be in the UK. He said the company aimed to produce about 12 airships a year starting in 2025. The craft itself was originally designed as a surveillance vehicle for intelligence missions in Afghanistan, and the aircraft, which can take off and land from almost any flat surface, reached heights of 7,000 feet and speeds of up to 57 miles per hour during its final tests. The company, Hybrid Air Vehicles, has had UK government backing as well as grants from the European Union. So if you want to travel from Seattle to Vancouver in a few years, you might be doing it in an airship. Well, we're going to close out with uh, something that's bringing uh, climate a little bit more personal and addressing the issues of mental health. There's a climate crisis that's now inflicting huge hidden costs on mental health. This also out of The Guardian. It says the climate crisis is damaging the mental health of hundreds of millions of people around the world, but the huge costs are hidden, scientists have warned. Heat waves are increasing rates of suicide. Extreme weather, such as floods and wildfires, are leaving victims traumatized. And loss of food security, homes, and livelihoods is resulting in stress and depression. Anxiety about the future is also harming people's mental health, especially the young, the scientists said in a report. Mental health conditions without the climate issue already affect a billion people and cost trillions of dollars a year. The researchers said global warming would worsen the issue unless action was taken. They described a vicious circle where climate impacts increase mental health difficulties, leaving people even more vulnerable to further impacts and consequences. However, They said tackling climate change could turn this into a virtuous circle. Action by individuals, communities, and governments not only cuts the impacts of warming, but also boosts people's mental well-being by giving them healthier lives and a sense of hope and agency. Said Emma Lawrence of Imperial College London, who led the report, mental health is the unseen impact of climate change at the moment, It is a big problem that is going to affect more and more people into the future, and in particular, exacerbate inequality. It is very likely to be a really big, unaccounted cost. If you have lost your home, if you're at risk of repeated flooding, if you're grieving because you've lost a family member to a fire, or your livelihood because of a drought, that is shock and trauma that translates for some into very prolonged distress and diagnoses of PTSD, anxiety, depression, and increased risk of suicide, end quote. Even for those not yet directly affected by climate change, so-called eco-anxiety about the future does have an impact, Lawrence said. She said, anecdotally, there are rising rates of distress, and it is going to affect a huge number of people. The grief and fear that comes with that, and especially for young people who see inaction on climate can really exacerbate distress. She said even in the midst of the pandemic in 2020, young people in the UK reported significantly more stress about climate change than COVID-19. But, Lawrence added, quote, taking climate action seems to be very positive for mental health, both on an individual and community scale but also as a society, end quote. She said the cost to mental health and the benefits of action must become part of the mainstream work on tackling the climate crisis. The report concludes, the climate crisis affects the mental well-being of hundreds of millions of people around the world. These impacts are currently hidden costs unaccounted for in both policy and planning. They found that less than 1% of out of 54,000 medical research papers that mentioned climate change over the past decade also mentioned mental health. Less than 1% of 54,000 papers mentioning climate change. But while much more research is needed, it is already known that rates of suicide increase with rising temperatures. With one study finding a rise of 1%, for every one degree Celsius increase. There is also evidence that air pollution and extreme weather events such as wildfires and hurricanes can contribute towards higher rates of suicide. Furthermore, people with pre-existing mental illness, particularly psychosis, dementia, and substance abuse, are two to three times more likely to die during heat waves. How high temperatures Directly affect mental health is unknown, but scientists suggest changes in blood flow to the brain, perhaps exacerbated by medications and lost sleep, may be factors. Well, the number of cases of psychological trauma arising from a natural disaster or a climate related crisis can exceed actual physical injury cases 40 to 1, the report said. 40 to 1. If there is a natural disaster, for every physical injury, Multiply that by 40, and that's the amount of people experiencing psychological trauma. They noted that after recent Australian bushfires, the government there spent $76 million just providing mental health support to their citizens. Climate impacts can also indirectly damage mental health by harming loved ones, causing the loss of homes or jobs, reducing access to water, food, or health care, or displacing people from their communities. Poorer mental health has been reported by people affected by flooding in the UK and Thailand, by displacement, including in Puerto Rico and Florida after Hurricane Maria. However, actions that cut global heating can also benefit mental health, such as making walking and cycling easier, providing nature-rich places people can visit, making homes warmer, and it's likely to improve the mental well-being of everyone, she said. Climate action will improve everyone's health. That's all for today's Climate Report. Broadcasting here on KVMR-FM and at kvmr.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. For more news and views in between broadcasts and post-show links to today's news, you can find the Climate Report page on Facebook. Feel free to also email climatereport at kvmr.org.